Well, ninth edition's here. It's official. Well, almost. Yep. Coming to stores soon to a hobby store near you. We're going to get ninth edition, new some new books, new models for some factions. It's uh, exciting stuff. Yeah, and so we're going to talk about ninth edition tonight. Uh, on top of that, we've got thoughts on the new Thousand Sun stuff. Uh, like, they're probably going to have a new codex in ninth. What our thoughts are on that? Um, Potential models or things that they could release, and uh, yeah. alongside that, let's uh, have a good time. Yeah, so we've got all sorts of stuff to talk about here. So, um, so ninth edition. It sounds like this is going to be kind of like the. Uh, the 8.5 that everybody was saying it was pretty much going to be pretty much kind of, you know, Mike, to your credit, what you've been saying here all along through, you know, pretty much last year is that uh, psychic awakening is really just to kind of bring everybody up, up to snuff Mm -hmm. or patch them with things that, you know, they've introduced over the last year and just kind of give everybody like some tools to work with while they get the next version of everything out. And they, I think they kind of learned, through the process of eighth edition, what they wanted to do with the armies, like they took their first stabs with the codexes or the indexes really. Mm -hmm. And then they molded the codexes. And even after the codexes got out there, you know, it takes time to get the the ideas flowing. And then they finally start to kind of figure out, okay, this works really good. And we figured out, you know, how to get this mechanic that we wanted to work with this army. And now how do we roll this out for other armies? So this is, I think, from the sounds of it, going to be the the addition where, you know, if Thousand Suns are really going to shine, this is going to be the one that kind of elevates everything where they can really kind of open up, you know, the rules and, and allow some of these things to operate a lot better. Yeah, I, I think they finally hit a model that works in regards to um, making the armies distinct, but also... Yeah allow them to compete in various ways. And I think psychic awakening within was them playing with the various ideas to get ready for these releases, more options, some of them good and some of them bad. Uh, we actually, we saw this um, in age of Sigmar um, prior to effectively, it took them almost like five years to finally sort of figure out what the game is. They wanted to actually release. And then they came up with a new edition of age of Sigmar and it's fantastic. Um, yeah, so, so overall, the I process think, is good, right? Yeah, so I, I think that what we're going to see is with the ninth edition of 40K moving from eighth, eighth being sort of the sixth edition to what was the good things about seventh edition, um, we're, we're probably actually going to be in for a good time, um, all things considered. It it's, sounds like they're re- reducing the restrictions on what sorts of detachments you have to bring. Um, but also incentivizing you to um, actually bring mono faction, effectively meaning yeah. pure Thousand Suns, pure Eldar, or pure Craftworld Eldar, pure Space Marines, whatever. And you know, it's it's funny, and we'll be able to dig into a little bit about some thoughts on that, um, but it's funny you bring up 6th and 7th edition because the other night in our uh, Discord for Thousand Suns, we actually had the topic of, uh, you know, what was seventh edition really like uh, from folks who, you know, obviously eighth edition has been such a success. There's a lot of people who have picked up the game for the first time or skipped editions and just, you know, glossed over maybe the end of seventh and, and got into eighth or came in when eighth dropped. And for, you know, lack of a better way of explaining it, 
didn't play sixth or seventh edition and don't really know what they missed. But having played at the tail end of seventh edition, it made me really kind of rehash my brain a little bit on like what those rules were like and how the edition was structured. And without a doubt, eighth edition has been way better than what that was. I mean, what what do you think? So um, effectively, if we're looking at the history of 40K and its editions, so yeah, first and second edition are a sort of single cohesive game. Um, Then third, fourth, and fifth edition were a single cohesive game. So effectively, if you had a codex in third edition, you could play it in fifth edition and it would play just fine for the most part. Um, Then sixth and seventh were their own thing. And a lot of what we saw effectively early seventh edition was a ton of fun to play and everything was very well balanced um, for the most part. But what we saw towards the the core mechanics of the system were actually very well put together, barring a few weird universal special rules that just didn't do anything. Um, but where we so you started playing towards the end of stuff, but that's when they started bringing in the special detachments, right. formations, and all of that. Which, to me, looking at it in hindsight, was the precursor to the detachments in Eighth Edition. Effectively, you no longer had to do one HQ, two troops. You could bring sort of more sort of specialized detachments. Um, but the problem is that they got so bloated and they had so yeah. many different special things that nobody could really keep up with it. It was almost like they knew they knew that eighth edition was basically in the works and what they yeah. were able to do is say, okay, let's experiment with a couple of these things yeah. to make sure that we've got the concept down or not. And mm-hmm. it's almost in a way good to see that when it fails, they respond to it and they actually yeah. do correct it. So then we had eighth edition, yeah. um, which eighth edition it again started out pretty good um but the problem is that as the edition went on what we found was that everyone was building their armies the exact same way with a very few um sort of deviations from that everyone brought two battalions nobody used the little the specialist detachments of like three fast attack three heavy supports three you saw the the supreme command with like thousand sons um but it just because there was a like definitive like this is the best choice you wound up seeing almost the exact same lists across almost every army there were again a few exceptions but those were exceptions um which not supposed to to be the rule yeah and i guess if i'm reflecting on eighth a little bit one of the things i think definitely worked really well was their simplicity um especially Mm -hmm. with the data sheets and recognizing that you know in seventh the problem that they had were all these daisy chaining keyword rules Mm -hmm. like one would relate to another which would relate to another and all you'd find out is okay it can can ignore morale tests or something like that and i'm not sure that seventh necessarily had a good system in place for morale but eighth edition i think also didn't hit the mark with morale Correct. Uh, because I think it's not represented on the field in a way that an army like night Lords can really build around mm-hmm. and say, you know what, that's an army that people can play legitimately. And it's an army that if I'm going to show up and play, 
and I have an all comers list, I should have something that says, okay, my army has a way to handle that. Uh, yeah. Like maybe I'm just, I have lots of five man squads or things like that, where if they break, it's just a five man squad that breaks, not a t- 10 or 20 man squad. Um, whereas now it's just a matter of, well, you know, I, p- I pay what? Uh, two CP at the end, I ignore mm-hmm. morale. And now a whole system is just completely irrelevant. Right? Yeah, completely bypassed. Um, so what we are seeing though, which I'm actually, I think is a good move in Games Workshop's um, sort of learning from the their experiences with releasing new systems is the basic rules for 40K are going to be free, available online. It'll probably be like a six or seven page PDF that you can download. Um, but then they'll have a core rule book that will have the advanced rules. Um, right. So if like if you look in the the current the current 40k rule book, there is a the, the basic rules thing that like tell you how to do all the phases. Your sort of your basic like this is how movement work, uh, psychic phase, com- uh, shooting, combat, morale. That that's those are the basic rules. Yep. But then the the rule book that people will should buy if they're going to be playing the game will include things like terrain the detachments uh special like the uh warlord traits and like some generic relics perhaps Mm -hmm. um effectively the same way that age of sigmar does it and i and i have a feeling what they're going to do with the big rule book there is you're going to get like you said with the advanced rules but you're also going to get these new terrain rules that they've been Mm -hmm. kind of teasing at uh, where you know, you can, what's nice about this is if all you want to do is just get started in 40K, the idea is you can download the PDF with the rules, the basic rules, so you can understand the mechanics of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can pick up your army and then you could basically show up with your friend and the two of you can play. You don't have to use the advanced rules. You don't have mm-hmm. to use match play, cards, uh, terrain rules, any of that stuff. Like you can literally just put a table together, throw some stuff on there, beer cans, whatever, you know whatever you want to do, and you can actually play a game against each other um, with just your own codex and your own models and the basic rules from the website, which is great because it really, if you think about it, lowers the the barrier to entry to just get Mm -hmm. started in the hobby. Yeah, and then the other thing I imagine they're going to do is so we already have already seen it somewhat, so you'll, you'll notice if you buy a box of miniatures from Games Workshop, it'll include the How to Build booklet and then in the back, it'll have the codex entry for that unit plus their power level. And then if once, so that effectively, you just need the, ba- the rules for free from the basic rules plus your little pamphlets. And you can literally play the game with just that. Yeah, technically um, you can. Yep. But um, so what we're probably going to see in the new edition is that the codexes will, again, they'll be more optional but you'll still want to buy the codexes because they'll have special rules for your army, sub factions, all of your chapter traits, uh, tactics, things like that, that wouldn't be mentioned in the little booklet. And so I'm thinking that what the ninth edition will have a lower barrier to entry than previous editions have had, because you literally won't need to buy the, advanced rules until you're like ready to actually start playing uh, at a higher level right um which is i i think a good thing i have a feeling in most cases what that's what that is is more you you have your friends who pl- who have those rules they play mm-hmm. that style and you know they basically they want to play that style of the game now you can either 
play and just kind of learn along the way, but you're going to basically get to the point where you realize, you know what, I need to have the book. I need to read up on the rules and, yeah. you know, be able to understand the, you know, all these little things and maybe not memorize them all, but at least have a reference that I can look up and know, okay, that's how that works. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that's pretty cool on the books um, is they announced that you're going to be able to have digital versions of the books for free now. Uh, yes, so I guess which, they've got an app or a subscription that mm-hmm. you'll set up. And I guess you can, yeah. if you go and buy the physical copy, you can scan the physical copy and it'll unlock it in the app for you from what it sounds mm-hmm. like. So, yeah. So they announced the last thing they announced on the 23rd was that they're releasing an official 40 K mobile app. And whenever you have the app and you scan in like the barcode or the QR code from your rule book and it loads a digital copy of your physical rule book onto your app. Um, that's something that we've been asking for for years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that they finally sort of saw a reason there. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's just going to be another good thing because now it, you no longer have to carry around a physical book if you have want to reference something that's not necessarily like in right. battle scribe or however you record your list. Right. So that'll be nice because you can, you can essentially, you can have the physical books if you want, but now you're not at this detriment of, well, you know, if I, if I want to take a tablet to a tournament or something and have a copy of the books, I don't have to lug them all around. I can just take the tablet, but I don't have to purchase second copies of the book digitally. Yeah on top of that, which is really great. I think that's, that's definitely going to really help speed things up, make people's ability to travel to events a lot easier too, Mm -hmm. which is good. But speaking of events, um, one of the things that's really cool is that they've got the, I believe the rules writer for the Nova open here in the U S as the, I guess their tournament or events organizer for GW uh, now. And he's going to be, I guess, setting up running the events uh, or coordinating them. Um, And it sounds like what Games Workshop is doing is making a big push to expand on the number of events that they run. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be interesting because I don't know whether they're actually going to compete or attempting to compete and merge with the ITC circuit and their rules or not. Um, There's kind of this, they've, announced a few big things like the fact that they're building an app that lets you um, organize your army uh, kind of like Battlescribe. Uh, well, so what's going to happen with Battlescribe and, and will the GW app be sufficient enough to supplant it? Uh, BCP or Best Coast Pairings, which is the app that they use at tournaments to manage automatic seeding and automatic pairing of people in the matches. Uh, what's going to happen with that? Is that going to stick around? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of things that don't get said because you're going to have people on NDAs or, um, you know, all sorts of uh, restrictions on what they can say uh, and windows in which they can say them, things like that, uh, where, you know, it, it's not, I don't think it's going to be very clear what actually is happening until we actually have everything kind of like out in the open in public. Um, so that, I mean, that's just my, my read on the situation at the moment, but it, it feels like there's this big shift potentially happening where GW is getting much more involved in events. Yeah. Um, and, and we're going to have to kind of wait and see what happens there. 
So my t- so Games Workshop used to run all of their own events, and then they, in, during the bad old years, they sort of took a step back and let the current sort of event organizers begin to sort of take the forefront. And I think what Games Workshop has realized is that by doing that, they've sort of let go of control of their own sort of their product. Uh, the same thing with Battlescribe. There's because there was never any competition for Battlescribe, but the the app flourished, which is good. I think that the it, it filled a needed gap. Um, but with Games Workshop becoming more sort of cognizant of how the world of this hobby has changed around them. They're trying to become more involved and gain sort of some of that control back of the hobby. So the idea that there was actually a several points where it was said that ITC writes better mission rules than games workshop. And so what I think we're going to see is games workshop, either trying to sort of either absorb some of that ITC sort of the, the people that are behind that, or at least becoming uh, getting a, some control over that process. Um, that way, the part the um, hobby is a more um, cohesive, uh, as opposed to there's this sort of stark divide between there are the tournament players and then there's the like the casual player. Uh, I rather think that Games Workshop is trying to get everyone to sort of go back to swimming in the same pool. Yeah. Which, and- I think that's good. Yeah. I think, I think having a good ability to, you know, jump from one, one to the other without feeling like, you know what, you know, if I go, if I go to a tournament and I go to play the narrative, am I missing out on, you know, the, the, the nature of the game where, you know, I really have to kind of play my way out of this or is the game set up in such a way that it's not balanced enough for me to really play through um, and really get the same satisfaction, like, you know, I, I can actually control where the story's going in a way. Yeah. Um, and in my opinion, that's just, I know people have their own views of how narrative games uh, should go or, or, or how the right way they are to structure or, you know, however you want to run them. There is no wrong way. But when I look at it, I, I like it from the standpoint of the game side where, you know, if, if I'm running a narrative, there's, there's like this massive tree uh, structure of, events that can happen like if this army wins this battle then you know these other things start to happen kind of thing and yeah. like all these different things can play out during the na- narrative so um that being said narrative game the narrative format is in the non-match play arena which has all sorts of things that just you know it's much easier to abuse loopholes i guess in a way in in that area like you know you can cast psychic powers as much as you want um you know there's all sorts of stuff like that that i i could cite endless reasons of things that you can't do in match play for a reason yeah where you can do in narrative play and to me it just it it's really good for them to be focusing on that right now to try and kind of expand a little bit the rules there or to, to expand the format in a way that's a lot. Um, I, I don't want to say more structured, but it's going to be more structured. It's going to be a lot more um, like tailored to be able to run those things. So I think it's good at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so one thing uh, actually I, I saw people, some people talking about today that uh, I, I think I would want to go ahead and just segue into. So 
all of the current books, as we said previously, are compatible with the new edition. Right. Uh, which is good. Um, however, one thing I was thinking about is they've already announced that they are trying to sort of reduce the incentive to soup your army and increase the ability to play a mono faction. Now, a it's, interesting. it's interesting they say that because if you go back to the beginning of 8th edition, when we were transitioning from 7th to 8th, I actually I went digging and there's actually a blog post I dug up from the classic um, uh, or the, the seventh to eighth transition that we had. And one of the things that they pointed out in there was the exact same thing. So they were basically saying, Hey, we want to reward thematic armies. We want to mm-hmm. basically give you benefits that, you know, stratagems in their own words were basically in there to make armies feel more thematic, more, yeah. you know, this is, this is the theme of it. I'm not sure that where we are now at the end of eighth edition, that that same meaning holds value now for stratagems in that a lot of ways Mm -hmm. stratagems aren't in, in a lot of ways they are, but in a lot of ways, some stratagems aren't and that they are much more mechanical gamesy. Like you get an additional warlord trait, you get, you know, additional psychic powers or, or whatever. Um, So I, I just found it interesting that, at the end of seventh, they had the same idea. And I'm not sure that you're rewarded in seventh or eighth. Sorry. You're not rewarded right now. If I just say, Hey, I want to take a bunch of Scarab Occult Terminators. Cause if I have Magnus, I should have his bodyguards and then I should have a bunch of Rubric Marines and then some Zangors up front. And then, mm-hmm. you know, on and on and on through what in your mind you would see a thousand sons army looking like on the battlefield. And I'm not exactly rewarded for going that route. Yeah. So I think if you look back at seventh, what you were seeing were the murder balls. So effectively you have a tough as nails unit and then you put in a chapter master from the Raven guard, a a, a priest from blood angels and they like a rune priest in the same unit. And then now you have this unkillable super unit that can never die. And it was very extremely counter fluffy. Mm-hmm. Um, like in what world does this actually happen? Um, so I think eighth tried to do like bring in more sort of an incentive to play fluffy armies. You no longer could attach characters to units. There are more hero characters are much more like heroic and they stand out more in the current edition. Um, and you had to bring pure detachments, uh, for the most part with the few exceptions your various detachments don't really interact with each other the problem you run into is that some armies like the uh, loyal 32 for instance are very good as a support unit for other factions like knights and custodies and so you could use them to effectively game the system to get more command points. Command points, of course, being yeah. one of the most valuable commodities in any competitive list. Which you should be able to bring your guard and your custodies and your various Imperium all together and your various Chaos all together. And even Eldar can team up and go all Eldar on everyone. But the thing is, the what, what we're seeing in 8th edition is that 
there's no incentive to bring, well, I want a pure ultramarines army. Mm-hmm. Instead, you bring a battalion of ultramarines and a like a battalion of some other chapter because they're better in, uh, than ultramarines in some way. And then, well, I want to bring a, like 32 guards. That way I can get the extra uh, command points. Right. And the reasons for taking those things are valid. They are make your army better. But the reason you're taking them is not for the sake of having a more enjoyable game is to be able to beat your opponent better. Right. So um, your incentive however, is command points and, and yeah. army army optimization and not mm-hmm. str- you know playing to the this is the army I'm a lot like in my head I start to think is the answer making it so that to use certain units like maybe Magnus for example you must in order to take him in a super heavy or to take him in an army, you must have a, let's say two 100% thousand sun detachments so that he fills out that third detachment and he's only runnable in a mono army. And then to, you know, that might not sound good in a vacuum right now in eighth edition, but what if his rules change and he becomes much cheaper and that he he's there, you know, he gives reroll all hits and you know, the, the, the rules for him become much more, tailored to think okay if he can only run in that situation then we can beef him up and we can make him more you know more expensive because you've got to take all this other stuff right so we actually already have an army that has is highly incentivized to run mono faction uh so there's actually the word there i'll sort of set all that if you say orcs or necrons nope i'm not talking about either of those armies it's the the (laughs) army that everyone complains about because of how overpowered they've been is the bog standard codex space marines so they're the what i consider the first ninth edition codex you are highly incentivized to take a single uh chapter trait you lose that chapter trait if you divert from that in any way if you use a stratagem to get a assassin i think you can still take an inquisitor i think they're the one exception to that but if you divert from being pure codex space marines with a single chapter trait in any way you lose all of your fun doctrines and that actually is I think what they're going for, because you saw that with the release of that codex, they effectively every gap that that army possessed was filled by a stratagem and they got a bunch of new units and they, they are a complete package. So and as we what, were, th- we were talking about them play testing stuff out, like in the end of seventh edition, like the morale stuff. Do you think that's kind of what they're doing here with the I, Marines I th- codex? I think that's exactly what they're doing with the Marines codex. Effectively, uh, Chaos Mark II is the last of the true 8th edition codexes. It doesn't have any of the quality of life features that the the next codex after it got. I mean, even, um, I think Sisters of Battle has similar things to the doctrines in that if you have to run pure sisters in order to benefit from your acts of faith. And so I think that, that what we're going to see moving forward is the more pure you're running. So the, if you run pure codex space Marines, well, you still get all the, the doctrines, but if you're not running pure chapter, you don't get the chapter specific doctrines, right? We're going to, which see, you can do, you yeah. can do, you could, you could feasibly and competitively mm-hmm. run a, a, an army that way. 
Yeah. But you're but you're more incentivized to just go all in on your on your chapter and play your mm-hmm. chapter, right? Yeah, I think that's what we're going to be seeing is a focus on the more restricted your list is from a unit perspective and faction perspective, the more bonuses you receive. That way your army is fluffy but still powerful. The main problem, the reason why Marines are so have been and are still so dominating is the fact that they got it first. Uh, much like the fifth edition uh, Codex Space Marines. Yeah. They were OP as Jesus uh, mm-hmm. back then. And then the next Marine Codex came out and suddenly they're shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think as we phase into ninth, they're not going to be the first Codex to get a new, uh, first army to get a new Codex. They're going to be one of the lasts, which is a double-edged sword. It means that by the time they get their Codex, they'll have already ironed out all of the rules that every other army has gotten and they'll get a more refined version much like yeah so it might not it might not come at the end it might come it, they might possibly do that in the early stages of ninth because they've they've come out and said that they're going to redo the codexes for all the armies and they don't yeah. mean necessarily redo what they're really doing is just saying okay we're now opening up and we're really you know now we're really building out these expanded codexes which incorporate everything from the original codex and psychic awakening and then they kind of you know almost expand on that even more now and figure out where to go with it uh Mm -hmm. so in the case of marines it's very possible that they don't really make any drastic changes or introduce anything that's really new or maybe what they do is just tweak it a bit so that it's a little bit you know more tailored within the context of every other army getting those those updates and they're not maybe they're not so bonkers on the table i mean i can't i can't imagine a lot of other stuff being quite as bad as what Marines were at one point, but to, to, to be fair, everybody else is still, you know, that far behind the power curve at the moment. So right. um, I think with a uh, thousand sons, the, the interesting thing is going to be, what did they decide to bring over and what did they decide not to bring over the, Q&A session that they had, I think on Twitch, was pretty good. Uh, And one of the things that they talked about was that there's a good possibility that there are stratagems they're not going to bring over. Um, And so you could see the core stratagems of the army. They might just say, you know what, and I I hope they do. They look at the Inferno Bolts, uh, for example, and just say, you know what, doesn't cut it. Don't bring it over. Let's just make everything in a Thousand Suns army AP2. And maybe that's doable by just saying, you know what, the Thousand Suns doctrine, you know, part of their doctrines or whatever it is uh, that they call it. Uh, their their mono rule, one of them is, hey, all your bolt weapons get AP2 or at, are a minimum of AP2. You know what I mean? Or they mm-hmm. just build that into their profiles, however they want to do it. Uh, those are the kind of things that I could see really getting interesting when they come back to, to revisit the, uh, the codex. But I know one of the things that a lot of people are probably curious about is if there are going to be new models and I am going to come right out and say, I don't think we're going to get anything new. No new models. What do you, what do you think? Like personally, I think by the time they get to a proper thousand suns release, like get to the new codex, we might get some, some new models. However, 
I think the models we get will likely be somewhat disappointing. If like a terrain kit, for instance. Um, <laughs> well, you know what? So like the, they, yeah. uh, during um, like Chaos got the Noxalith crown, which it's, it's cool, but yeah, belongs yeah. in a Thousand Suns army, not a Chaos yeah. Space Marines. And army, right? so I, I can see us getting something like that. The thing is that Games Workshop needs to figure out is ways to expand the thousand suns range in a way that incentivizes people to take those new units i mean if you look at it thousand suns started off as literally a single troops choice and then we got the big release back in seventh where we got the new terminators we get they cross pollinated Zengors and the Mutalith Vortex Beast and all the Zengor units into the Codex. And then that was it. Um, oh, we got the new Exalted Sorcerers. So effectively, we got four new kits because we got Magnus. Yes. Uh, which, that was great. Um, like At the time, I was so excited because the old conversion kits just weren't really cutting it. Uh, playing Thousand Suns was just didn't really feel special. But if we're looking at the other armies and I, we've gone over this countless times, I think on this podcast, the other chaos factions have been treated differently without 50,000 sons haven't grown with the other chaos armies. I mean, even just putting aside death guard, a uh, thousand sons have traditionally gotten every unit that is in, in the core chaos based screens army, except for like chosen, and in the new releases, Chaos Lords. Other than that, we get everything else. Um, but yeah. with the, we haven't gotten access to the new Demon Engines, we, the new terrain features. I mean, it makes that's it okay. very. It's it's okay, but I think if they are wanting to make a late, like have Thousand Suns be a like a big player like the equals to their rivals the space wolves they need to give them the same treatment yeah i you know what i would like to see in ninth you know from a wish standpoint here is to see you know kind of what i look at is i almost see the mono factioning like if you've ever played an rpg or an, an mmo or something like that it, you have what are called like set items that drop. And essentially you get these bonuses for like, okay, I've got, you know, a hat, gloves, and a and a armor chest piece that I can wear. And if I find the head headpiece and the chest piece, I get like a half bonus. And then if I unlock like the gloves, I get a third bonus on top of that. I would really like to see when they do the mono factions here, especially the chaos stuff, because they're a little bit different and they're meant to soup together. I would like to see them have a good mono bonus. Like you can play them one way as a mono Thousand Suns army and here are the bonuses you get for running them that way. And yeah. then if you decide, you know what? I'm going to take 25% of the army. Like one detachment is going to be demons in there. Well, okay. By doing that, because everything is zinch, you unlock like a, a zinch bonus there for all of them. And maybe that mm -hmm. zinch bonus is like everybody gets to reroll ones in the psychic test army wide or something like that. Um, yeah. Things, things like that where it unlocks different things I think would be really, really good and incentivize you to play a thematic army, but those bonuses need to be 
up to par. They can't, they can't be these menial, like, you know, ignore your morale check or, you know, um, add one to hit for all, you know, your bolt weapons in one yeah. rubric Marine squad, you know, just like stuff that's like, how oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So for sort of um, looking at the Age of Sigmar model, that's exactly what you see. So in Age of Sigmar, there are three different levels of specialization. So the first is a, like, you are mono faction. So you're playing pure chaos or pure um, order or pure on death, whatever. And then after that, you have pure army. So for instance, if you're playing pure iron gut ogres, you get a thing. And then, oh, well, I put my army in this particular like detachment. Well, now I get this third layer of bonuses, but I have fewer of this particular unit, but I bring more of this unit. And so I really hope that's sort of the model they crib off of because I've been very impressed with the new additions of the uh, Age of Sigmar codexes or army books or whatever they're called um, because that's what I want to see in for 40K. The idea that the f- sort of fluffier your army is the more more you're going to sort of be benefited by it. The thing I worry about, of course, is whenever you start including things like that, the you have to make sure your bonuses are balanced because, well, some units are better than others. Right. And if you have the best units in a, in a specialized attachment and they get a good bonus, well, you're only going to see that one specialized attachment. Um, and so that, I, I think that, that that's, I'm hoping this direction we're moving for towards because I think it's good for the game. Um, I just, I hope that they handle it as well as they did in age of Sigmar. And I think that the, the company can do it. They've proven it. They just, they need to make the jump and sort of rub some of that mojo onto the 40 K as a game. Yeah, and we're still, I mean, we're still waiting to see what happens with the old mm. Marines too, right? The, well, you know, we've got Primaris now and old Marines and... Yeah, I mean, they've confirmed that old Marines aren't going anywhere. At right. least that, that was what their most recent release said. So, so what are we doing with them, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that they're not going to be getting new releases. I mean, that's pretty much, that ship has sailed. No, I mean, they're um, going to be in the they're same gonna be like a, a legacy right? unit. Um, yeah. Sort of like how like Empire is still a thing. Was it, they're called Free Guild now in Age of Sigmar, but Stormcast are like the bee's knees. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, I think it's going to be a very similar thing. So you'd, you'd still run them, but it, what they have the real problem with right now is that the Chaos factions, right, are still, mm-hmm. they're based on the old, the old Marines. Yeah. So, and, and not to mention that we have other things like Terminator rules. Like if we, we've been hounding on this forever, that the, the problem with Scarab occult Terminators is the broader problem with Terminators in general. Yeah. Um, and this is the time, if we're going to see them address it, this is where they would address it. Right. Mm-hmm. I think a, there are a lot of the old models uh, from Marines in particular, but other armies uh, because they aren't the, the new hotness, the rules for them tend to be a little lackluster. Um, and 
I'm hoping Games Workshop will sort of throw those units a bone. Uh, the Chaos Space Marines, uh, Thousand Suns, all, all of the old power armor armies uh, need a little help, especially when compared to how brutal the uh, some of the new Primaris models are. And I, yeah, I, I don't necessarily know that there's a good fix for it with the current model range, other than perhaps, well, more bonuses. Because uh, going I've, I've cheaper heard. isn't the answer. No, it, it certainly isn't. There, I mean, points only do... Points are like the way to fine-tune things, right? They're a way to say, you know what, we've got the rules on this model, right? It just needs to be a little cheaper, a little more expensive, just to just to offset how much of it you can take or to make it a little bit harder to, to take other stuff that really benefits with it. Like, that that's how I view points. Whereas the core rules to the model are really what make up whether it's good or bad. And there is no, you know, you can't just take, like the Lord of Skulls is a really bad example because it was so out of, like they can screw up the point values so bad that they make these massive point cost cuts to them. Yeah. I hope by now whatever formula they use to determine those points is getting refined to the point that that isn't a mistake that we see a lot uh, that we see happen a lot in moving forward. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with terminators, I think the big thing is if they were to just say, look, let's make them strength five T five. Let's give them all some different weapon options, like your basic terminator weapons. Like everybody can upgrade their terminator weapons and, and they all have like power fish, chain axes, power axes, you know, the, the just go through the gamut of the things that Terminators should be able to be equipped with. Then I think you'd be talking about much more viable units on the table. Uh, yeah. You know, but we'll see what they do. I mean, ninth edition, the, the, they could do a lot of things looking at the very beginning of it, what they, what they do with the initial profiles on stuff that's going to be kind of a giveaway in, in whether they're going to do this or not uh, or whether they're going to address that or not. I think they are. I think that I think this is going to be the chance for them that they're looking at the things that aren't getting taken or aren't getting, be, getting done or the things that aren't functioning the way they want. And, the, and especially in the Q and a session, I came away from that feeling really, really positive that, that everything I was hearing them talk about and answer were the things that were, that I remember at some point saying, God, this isn't all that great. And I know what they want us to do, yeah. but I can't really do it because that it's working against me to do that. Like nobody else is really doing that. And I'm forced into playing this other way. Yeah. So anyways, um, so there's a lot more for us to talk about. And in future podcasts or podcasts, we're going to be obviously really breaking into this stuff. Um, things like the fact that command points are going up for everybody. Um, we know that the missions are changing and the ITC, um, uh, Reese Robbins, who runs ITC, uh, came out and basically just said, look, those are going to, those missions are going to be familiar to you, uh, which are great. Uh, we've got other things like melee changes. Um, you know, there are some things, um, like uh, supposedly overwatch and falling back are going to see some changes. I think most of those are going to probably dovetail into like the morale changes that they're working on. I would love, love to see them make night Lords a build that is viable. Like, yeah, I think to me, that's a test of whether they've gotten that valid or not, but we'll see. Yeah. And then of course you've got changes to uh, terrain and vehicles. Yep which I'm actually looking forward to being a big fan of both of those things. 
Yeah, and we can probably talk about that right real quick right now because that's kind of one of the major things that they've been harping on. Um, the fact that vehicles will be able to fire in combat. What we don't yeah. know, Mike, is are, does that mean that they can fire only at the unit they're in combat with or does it mean they can only fire at stuff they're not in combat? Like there's a lot of unanswered questions on that, right? So the way How you I'm, can do it. I'm hoping this works is that effectively all vehicles get the super heavy rule where you can fire your like big weapons at things you're not in combat with and then you can fire your small arms at things you are in combat with. The main sure. reason being is I just I don't like the idea of well, I made it to combat and now the battle cannon shoots me twice <laughs> and just what was even the point of getting into combat? Yeah, exactly. Um exactly. And so we'll have to wait and see. I hope that they treat it like delicately. Um, because if they go the wrong way, we could see some pretty just bad times for assault armies with the fact that a lot of the gunline armies, the way you beat them, especially with the tank heavy ones, mm -hmm. like guard is that by tagging them. their vehicles. Yeah. Or if they make it where it's something where you can shoot at other stuff, you know, you can still take advantage. Corn is probably the best army to look at this from the perspective of, right? Like, that's what they rely, they rely on. They really have like one or two models in their whole army that shoot. So yeah. you, they're all close combat. So if I look at it from their perspective and I look at I, best example I can think of is a guard army. That is just the mm -hmm. quintessential gunline army. They've got tanks. They've got, they've got lots of bodies on the table and it's like one of the hardest things to crack as a core army. Uh, Today, what you do is you basically just try to touch the tanks and you, like you were saying, you lose or you, you get them to lose that way. Yeah. Uh, but obviously taking overwatch, um, things being able to fall back, fall back and shoot, getting out of combat, whether you can lock them in combat or not. There are things you could do potentially with the new terrain rules, um, being able to hide stuff that the, the vehicles could shoot at. But I think, I think what... The, the way I view it is it shouldn't rely on the terrain being the kind of thing that balances, you know, whether a melee army can function, uh, you know, on, on the playing field with a shooting army. I think the two should be able to function without the terrain there. And you still, you should have a 50, 50 between the two. Um, no, I know I might be just grasping at something that's not possible, but yeah. I think that's the, that's the bar in my opinion, that you should be shooting for. That even if we, let's say we took a Tau and a corn army, we put them on the table. You literally should be able to look at this and say, you know what, let's flip a coin because there's no way we know what's going to happen here. So, know? But today you would pretty much say, you know what, if it's open table, Tau army is going to win this probably 75, 80% of the, the, the time. Yeah. So they actually addressed that in the uh, one of the bullet points for the sort of the rundown of the new edition uh, and sort of uh, effectively still pointed out that you need enough terrain. Um, effectively, there is and has always been the sweet spot of enough terrain to allow that perfect 50-50 split. Um, the problem we run into time and time again is that some tournaments and a lot of people don't have enough terrain to achieve that level of terrain density right. that you need to actually for the game rules to function as intended 
Right. So we're going to at least have a recommendation from GW now on here's how much terrain you should have on the board. Yeah. I mean, every um, and, previous and, edition had that. And I hope that optimally what they do is they tailor that to the missions because if they, you know, everybody's saying that the missions are going like the, the missions are going to be based off of the competitive stuff. Great. Let's, let's see the terrain tailored to the missions so that it's, you know, um, uh, you know, the kind of mission where you've got maybe five objectives is the kind of thing where, you know what, maybe a, a, an army, uh, you know, maybe you don't need quite as much terrain on that because you've got so many different places you've got to go. Right. Yeah. Versus, you know, one of the three, uh, the three objective ones, maybe you should have more terrain on there where a death star can't just go sit in the middle and shoot you off the one objective you need to take. Right. Yeah. And, Oh, I won the game. That was easy. Or park a stupid night on it. Yeah. Something like that. So still unhappy about that. <laughs> Damn stupid. I have no idea what you're talking about. Actually, uh-huh. I'm <laughs> sure you don't. I still have nightmares. That night counts for 10 people. <laughs> this is my objective. My there are others on the table, but this one's mine. This one is yours. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the um, I, and I, so I, I'm liking all most of what I'm seeing here. Right. Uh, the have been some concerns about the the, the army building the fact that the more command points will remove the incentive to bring certain types of units, and so we might see a return to armies of the style of like the triptide from seventh mm-hmm. uh, but honestly i'm thinking with the way that the game has changed since then uh that's not going to be as huge of a concern I, I you know what i would really like to see is in ninth edition more more attention to detail spent on the diversity of the options that armies have yeah that you say triptide like i would like triptide it can be a thing, but so can, you know, a riptide and maybe two storm surges or a riptide, a storm surge. And I don't know, some, whatever other combination you want to do, something like that, you know, looking at it from the perspective of every configuration of options that you could come up with, be as close to as viable as the other configurations as possible. You know, vortex beasts, defilers, uh, mauler fiends, forge fiends, like, all of those having a way to be viable in some way, shape or form that you could look at yeah. and say, okay, yeah, that's going to be a problem or that's going to be a, you know, that's a challenge that can actually function on the table. Mm-hmm. And I think that there should, there will, there will always be a best choice for any given list or situation. But I think at least having every unit have a right situation where they're viable. At, um, at, as or, things change, right? The meta, like even if you were to not change the rules in the game, we will see the meta change. People will take yeah. things to counter other things. Like even in seventh edition, where the rules didn't change as frequently, anywhere near as frequently as they're changing right now, we saw the meta change, right? Yeah. And, you know, there, you still had general armies that were good, but the meta, ch- you know, changed based on what people were taking to counter other options that were out there. Uh, I still think that the, you know, from what you're saying, having the options be viable when things change. So if, if taking predators, for example, is the right, is a good uh, counter to something else that people are taking, 
then make that something that, hey, when I field predators, they work. I'm not at a huge disadvantage because I'm paying so many points for them. Or, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's other stuff in the game that just, it just doesn't care. It just deletes them off the table, you know, before I even get a chance to use them, you know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing out reasons yeah. why you might want, want to take them where, you know, today you would look at it and say, oh, well, okay, great. You've got, you know, lots of lots of wounds in your knights and a horde army is a good counter to that because you just don't have the bullets to handle it so yeah. make it viable which that actually leads into the other bit of rules writing changes so the other thing that was announced and this was actually some time ago but i think with the lead into the ninth edition of the game which is also the zinch edition of the game just wanted to throw that in there as looking for a nice officially zinch the zinch time has come Yep, uh, is the fact that Games Workshop is now going to be writing all rules for 40k, uh, including the Forge World units, as opposed to farming that out to Forge World. Because what we would see yep. is Forge World stuff is the units are fine in a vacuum, but the second you start comparing them to their sort of core rulebook counterparts, it there's just this vast disparity one like either one unit's way stronger than the other or vice versa um and so by having a single rules writing team uh that should be mitigated significantly yeah i agree with you 100 percent. i've heard lots of theories as to you know how forge world and games workshop operate and you know, where one is focused on certain sales and the other is first focused on other sales, those kind of things. I mean, they're all yeah. the same company at the end of the day. So they're all focused on trying to promote as many sales of the models that they have in both ranges as much as possible. So yes, I think it's going to be for the, for the whole of the game, it's going to be a very positive thing, having the Forge World rules written by the Games Workshop team. What I'm really hoping for is that this is a chance for them to fold those units into the core codexes so that when we open codex thousand suns there's this beautiful entry of a chaos sorcerer dreadnought that we can open up to we have rules for it can walk around it can fire its butcher cannons and then it can smite and that's all we want right that's all us thousand suns players want we want to entomb our sorcerers (laughs) in dreadnoughts and just march on to victory so um I'll, i'll say that i'm really looking forward to it and i think with all the hype around ninth edition and even some of the the latest stuff like engine war um which we should get into here in a second uh the forge world stuff is really just kind of flying under the radar right and i think those are those have a huge potential change to a lot of different things so we'll see what comes out i mean obviously the fact that they're rewriting those um codexes I don't think the reality that I'm going to open Codex Thousand Suns and see a Contemptor Dreadnought in there is very high, but I I am still I I will settle for open, opening Forge World the Forge World Index and seeing rules that allow me to make my Contemptor Dreadnought a sorcerer. So, yeah. so I actually got one more bit of Ninth Edition rumors, and then we can go into things we actually have rules for. Um, so one thing I did see while I was sort of poking around the internet looking for rumors about the new edition in preparation I actually prepared this week i hope you're just proud of my dedication to this thing that we'd sing so much time into is Seems, um, thank you. 
Yes, I'm I'm glad. Uh is some there have been some posts regarding what will be contained in the new release. Effectively, um so the shipping manifests for the new edition have already come out. Effectively the They've pre-staged the deployment of all the books, and effectively what it looks like is there's going to be four books released at the same time. And so one theory I saw sort of bumping around that I think might be credible is effectively there's the rule book, which is book one, and then there are three faction books, sort of like the um, indexes, like one for Imperium, Chaos, and Xenos. Effectively, the put everything in one place that way if a new player joins the game or perhaps they'll have some additional rules that'll all be in one spot as opposed to having to buy the codex then buy the psychic awakening book and then buy whichever vigilist book you need Mm. um and i'm hoping uh, that seems like a good thing to me the Um, indexes were a very good way to roll out the new edition when, when it came out so, yeah, and I'm I'm thinking that that might be the direction that they're going, yeah. but um, well, we'll see. In, yeah, well, we will see here in a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, so, Engine War, Mike, as you were alluding to, that we've we've been yes. getting a solid dose of stuff coming out from that. Um, probably the uh, the two most interesting things, obviously, are the Chaos Knights stuff that they've been previewing because Thousand Suns can ally up with Chaos Knights. Uh, and the Zinch Demons, which are the notoriously the the main allies of Thousand Sons. So, um, where do you want to start? Well, I've got the Chaos Knights tab open, so we'll go and look at that. Let's do that. So, Chaos Knights are getting some fun new rules. Effectively, it looks like they get some um, additional houses, which I'm not a expert on chaos knights i I think big stompy robots are just not quite my thing however um what i'm seeing here effectively if you pledge your knights to a particular household you get cool things um so for instance uh house herpetrax i think that's right gets dauntless uh plus two wounds uh for models with that uh household bond but not war dogs. They only get but, one, right? Yes, not all war dogs. They only get one. Um, House Lucaris. They strike first and strike often. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the uh, a warlord with this trait always fights first. Yes, your big stompy robot always strikes first, even if it didn't charge. This would be great for a Slanesh army. Oh yes, I think that's exactly what that is. Um, they get some new uh, stratagems. Uh, House Chimere, uh gets the ability to... Uh, uh, actually, need to read this thing. It's like wordy. So basically, uh, in their shooting phase, right, you would select a model, and then you roll a D6 for each enemy unit within three inches of the model, and then on a 4+, plus, they take D3 more wounds, right? Yeah, so effectively, it's a knight version of Warp Flame Gargoyles, just yep. in the shooting phase. Yep, that's right. Uh, the, now, the nice also, thing about that is it doesn't modify whether it's a character or a vehicle. Yes. And hint, 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 this could be a precursor for a modification to the Warflame Gargoyle stratagem in mm-hmm. ninth edition. Um, I could see them totally making it so that you just roll a D6 that way. And because it's already a four up, 
you know, the fact that you're probably going to take those wounds or your, your model is at that point to get that close, probably going to die. I could see them making it work just this way, just the same way. One CP, uh, it's not a knight, right? Because it, knights can get in there and survive and you could potentially do this multiple times over and over again. But um, I could see with like Warflame Gargoyles on your Rhino or something like that, taking, taking everything within, you know, three inches on a D6 takes one mortal wound rather than D3 or something like that. So yeah. or maybe you have a, a two CP version where you take D3, who knows? So. Yeah, and then they've got additional relics for like there's another household called Vixtrix, which uh, effectively you get a heretic priest to um, supercharge your power core. <laughs> so you move, you move, <laughs> well, you deal more damage with your melee weapons, you move faster, and you explode better, which is always fun. And uh, then there's House Comentis, which uh, Select one unit of war dogs from your army. You can set up this unit. Uh, effectively, you can outflank with your war dogs, uh, which can be pretty great um, depending on what your loadout is. Yeah, so you could. I think the war dog units go up to three models. Correct? Yes. So you could you could essentially outflank three war dogs, which could be pretty good if you take the ones that need to get into range, like the melta ones. Yeah. Or the uh, it the uh, makes the ones. the melta ones actually viable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And they're a little cheaper too. So, you know, you, you can save some point costs doing something like that. Yeah. And then I, most, the really nice thing is the fact that it's one CP. Yeah. So that's, that's really useful. And uh, however it is limited, you can only use that once per battle. So no uh, outflanking an entire army of war dogs to uh, harass your opponent. And then the other thing that's really cool that they get is much like the, other armies that have the sort of build your own fa- sub faction, you there they can do the same thing. So the two examples that they give were Slayers of Kings. Um, effectively, whenever uh, you resolve an attack with a melee weapon, excluding your stompy feet by a <laughs> model with this bond against a vehicle or monster, add one to hit rolls, which is very good. Effectively, your knights will be hitting on twos against other big models. Or if you're more of a inclined for shooting, you can take pinpoint cruelty, uh, which allows you to, uh, whenever you fire Overwatch or a chosen to shoot or fight, you can reroll a single dice when determining the damage as a result of those attacks. Not really useful for fighting because every close combat weapon already does max damage. Um, however, for like your battle cannon or the Melta, that's excellent. Yeah, I, I can see all those stuff being used. I mean, that's the that's the great thing about it. Like, I I don't really see anything in there that that is no, I I wouldn't find a use for it. I could see it being used, and it would be you know relatively viable. In there. Yeah, I'm overall I'm pr- very happy with the uh, options that they're providing with Chaos Knights. They provided a similar level of stuff to the Imperial Scum, but you'll win some, you lose some. Well, the other thing that we're seeing uh, coming out in this book, um, which is probably for Thousand Suns players, this is probably going to be a book that you want to buy because it's not just got um, the knight's rules in it. I believe this also has the uh, the demon's rules in it too, right? Correct. So it's one book that's got a lot of stuff in there for chaos players, and it's going to be really, really useful to have. Um and today they actually uh, released a bunch of the, the previews uh, for what they're doing with demons. And 
demons have been the armies, one of the armies that are, you know, aside from Slanesh demons, they've been kind of on the back burner in the background. Like GW is not quite sure what to do with them yet. They've got rules. You could feel them, but you're not really going to be playing it much more than, you know, a basic army. You have, you have very few options to really work with. The stratagems are not really fully fleshed out at all. Um, they're really just an army that's in need of some refreshing. And to see some of the stuff coming out in this, um, first of all, just the leaks of the table of contents and how much is in there for demons is a very good sign. There, there's something like 30 something pages, I think, if I if I looked at it right. I think it was like from mm-hmm. page 70 to page 100 or something like that was all demon stuff. Now, granted, you've got Zinch, Corn, Slash, and Nurgle to fit into all of those, but I, I think that's a good sign to see a good chunk of content in there to help them out. Um, yeah. Let's get to today. So today what they've done is they've come out and and explained what they're doing with the greater demons. Uh, The greater demons are now going to have something uh, where you can make your, uh, for instance, your Lord of Change exalted. And when you make them exalted, basically it's kind of like the Mutileth Vortex Beast where you can either pick the power you want to roll for or choose two of them randomly. And in doing so, these are additional or appear to be additional uh, abilities that they get on top of what they have today. My guess is it's going to cost you two CP or something like that to upgrade your greater demon or maybe three to an exalted greater demon. Uh, But looking at some of these rules, I think it's definitely going to be something it even even at three CP, it's going to be something that people are really going to have to consider. So let's just jump right into Zeech. The big thing that they've got that I think everybody was really going Google over was the spell thief ability. And you're going to have, my guess is you're going to have six different ones in there. And it just, you know, duh, Captain Obvious here, because you're going to have to roll a D6 for uh, if you're going to choose them randomly. So uh, spell thief basically works kind of like the blue scribes where when you deny a power, uh, the enemy loses the ability to manifest that power again, or the psyker that attempted to manifest it. For the loses rest of the battle. For the rest of the battle. Now, you don't get to cast it for free, like the Blue Scribes, but what's cool about this is it really doubles down on the fact that Zinch is all about psychers, they're all about sorcery. Like, they, of all the armies in the game, Zinch should be the one army that is just, if you've brought psychers, you're in for a really tough match. Now, today, that's not necessarily the case. But from what this looks like, they're definitely going to be improving in that area. Um, I could definitely see that being really useful, especially in matches like, uh, let's say we take the Lord of Change that has the impossible robe, the minus one to damage. So you're basically at a three up in bone save with that guy, minus one to all damage that he takes. And then if you really want to double down, you take the changeling with him and you've got a six up feel no pain next to him. So you've got this really, really tanky board of change. If you can get this guy into range where he can deny powers like that against an army like um, Eldar, where they have the ability to uh, jinx doom, pretty much make it so that they just don't care about all your buffs that you have. Uh, you can actually take those powers away. So you could even look at an army like maybe running Magnus and a Lord of Change. It's expensive, but if you could pull something like that off, you can get something like your Lord of Change in there to take away those options so that now Magnus can come in and you don't have to worry about maybe Doom or Jinx uh, potentially being thrown at him. So I think this has 
a lot of potential, a lot of play potential on the table. Um, yeah. Next thing they unveiled was the crystal tomb. Uh, so this, I believe, is a relic. Uh, yes, the so, crystal tome appears to tome. be a relic. I'm sorry, I mispronounced that. Um, you did. It it hurt. It hurt on the inside. That is where it hurts. that is minus one point in the uh, Zinch Karma jar there for me. I'm All right. So, so at the beginning of the opponent's turn, so it's on your on your opponent's turn. At the beginning of it, you're going to select an enemy character within twelve of the model with this relic. So you and the opponent are gonna roll off. It basically is a leadership test. And if you win this leadership test, so basically you're gonna roll a D6 and add your leadership, but whoever rolls higher, uh, basically the aura abilities for that character are going to be disabled. So this can be really, really helpful. Um, you know, all sorts of instances, chapter masters. Against um, an enemy Primark. <laughs> against an enemy Primark, yeah. Yeah, you can do all sorts of stuff like that and just say, nope, your auras are done. They're not working. Um, you know, we were we were having a conversation about this uh, today and just kind of noting how this type of rule where you can shut down auras is starting to proliferate a little bit. But um, Mike, I got a question for you. What do you think, what defines an aura ability? Because this kind of became a contentious conversation for us. So an aura ability, I believe, has been defined by Games Workshop as any ability that affects all units within a set range or all uh, applicable units within the set range. So, for instance, a targeted ability like a psychic power or right. some of the chaplain buffs would not count as an aura. But that was the that. Yeah. So that was the thing that came up because you could look at something like Cursed Earth on a yeah. on a Dark Apostle and say, well, it, that's an aura now, even though it's activated via the chaplain power or yeah. you have a psychic power like, you know, or cursed earth is the psychic power. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, there, like there's another one zone. on the, yeah. Null zone. Another good example. It, does that count as an aura ability, even though it's activated via psychic power or dark apostle? Chaplain? So strictly speaking, yes, I believe that qualifies as an aura as defined by games workshop. And I would have to agree with you. I think intent, that's how it, would be played. But uh, I think today for lack of time, we didn't really hunt down a, an official answer on that, but that might be something yeah. worth taking a look at. Anyways. But, uh, one thing that's important to note about the crystal tome is unlike other abilities that can shut down the tome, it does require a dice off, yes. but it can be used multiple turn times. So you'll get potentially a lot of use out of this, especially if you can either one have higher leadership than your opponent or B nerf their leadership into the dirt. Right. I mean, I could see this as the kind of thing where, um, hell, you could shut down Synapse on Tyranids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could. I mean, that to me is a Synapse, or Synapse is an aura, so, you know, I, I think yeah. it is. I don't know Tyranids that well. I mean, yeah, it does qualify. They're, so They're just bugs. Yeah, that, that does definitely work. To me, the only good bug is a dead bug, so. I'm afraid so. <laughs> Anyways, um, we got another stratagem here. Moving yeah. on. Uh, this one actually we, makes me very happy. Oh, I love this um, one. So the it. way, so flames of mutation is one CP. Use this in your shooting phase. Select one flamer unit, which includes not only flamers of Zinch but exalted flamers and uh, the chariot as well. 
Yeah. Uh, until the end of the phase, when resolving an attack made by a model in that unit, an unmodified wound roll of six inflicts one mortal wound on the target in addition to any other damage. So, so the flamer a, bomb is now a thing. Yeah, right? you take a big old unit of flamers and you just spend one CP and now they whoosh whatever it is they're looking at off the table. And you know, with, it, if uh, you really want to, you you take the, what is it, the the Warlord trait that the Siege Demons has that improves your, um, your wounds by one, so now you yep. can wound even better, and then you get plus, you actually get plus one strength from your Herald as well, so if you put it on a Herald, you can actually improve your wounding by two. Uh, in in some cases where you know if they're strength mm-hmm. four now they're strength five and plus yeah and then there's the psychic so. power as well I think yeah. that increases the oh yeah flickering flames yeah I flickering think does flames that. Yep. yeah yeah so, so this stratagem is fantastic I'm actually very happy with the stuff that they're it honestly looks like they're trying to revamp the demon codex in general with these additional rules and I think that was the uh, zinch sub faction came out pretty solid all three of the things that they leaked are very good they're very and i can see how they're applicable in a number of different scenarios so they also released a bunch of other stuff and rather than getting into every single one of them and trying to parse you know all of the or all of the demon stuff here um what's one of the things you saw with the other demons that was really good so Everyone's already has talked the uh, corn thing to death, so I'm not going to do that one. Uh, you know, I'll I'll let somebody else talk <laughs> up that one. Okay. Um, so the one I actually was actually pretty interested in is the um, putrid demise. So this one's actually a little difficult to use, but potentially could be pretty hilarious so effectively what this does is it's one cp just like the uh flames of mutation uh every time a plague bearer cavalry model in your army is destroyed roll a d6 on a two plus every unit within six inches suffers a mortal wound so huh if you so play I- it aggressively you take a big six-man unit of plague bearers, and well, well, the one the one yeah. confusing thing about this to me is it's plague plague bear cavalry. Yeah, so that's the blot flies. It's bot flies only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the blot flies are the only plague bear cavalry that I'm aware of currently. Do you yeah. think plague drones end up being plague bear cavalry? Sorry, sorry. The the, the plague drones. The, the those are the units I was talking about. Sorry, I used the wrong. Are we? Uh, someone was saying that they might not be, but that would make sense to me of who that's targeted at. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, basically, the the only downside is you got to get in close, right? And yeah, but I mean, you're, the thing you want to do already playing Nurgle, so you don't really have ranged options. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, one of so the one thing to me, obviously, the corn thing, I could jump into that. I'm not going to jump into that again. Um, basically, <laughs> right, let's just mention what it is for the folks that didn't follow what was getting talked about. Basically, they added something where bloodthirsters get the ability to 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 heal their wounds, um, uh, basically on models that they kill. And there was this whole kind of back and forth of whether it's actually good or not good based on how much damage they can do and their wound profiles and all that nonsense. And I just think at the end of the day, it's very good. 
I mean, any bloodthirster that can just kill stuff and heal itself, damn good. I don't yeah. want a bloodthirster on the table healing itself. I want that thing gone as fast as possible. Yeah, up to a max of eight wounds per turn. And again, I know that people are saying that that's eight is because it's the number of corn. Ha ha ha. I think, I think it's more just you're, even if you were to say, Hey, I'm going to regain four wounds on my bloodthirster. That's, that's enough to really just annoy the hell out of me. And it could mean the, the difference of it living the next turn or not, or me investing two CP to boost his inborn save by two, by one, uh, for a turn. So, or for a phase, uh, but at the end of the day, that's not the one I want to talk about. The one I want to focus on um, that someone else pointed out to me uh, was Farseeker. And I think Farseeker, once I really read this thing and, and looked at it, this is the Slanesh one. So here's what Farseeker does. Uh, this is the um, exalted ability for the Keeper of Secrets. Once per morale phase, so this can be done once per turn, or sorry, twice per battle round, okay? So this is once per morale phase, after an enemy unit fall, fails a morale test, but before any models flee that unit. So keep in mind that Slanesh uh, definitely has stuff where they can, um, I, I think they can boost your uh, the amount of uh, the leadership and how many models flee, essentially. Yes. So this is kind of their mechanic. This model can move as if it were the movement phase. As long as it ends this move closer to the unit that failed the morale test. In addition, each time an enemy model flees from a unit while the unit is within six inches of this model, this model regains a lost wound. So essentially your Keeper of Secrets goes in, absolutely annihilates an entire, like half a blob of, uh, what do you call it, uh, you know, boys, and your boys stay out of combat with the thing, right? And so now he's got all this huge gap of space in there to consolidate. What this essentially does is lets him eat up. It basically, after everything has been removed and cleaned up, he can just get like a free movement out of the thing. And he just has to end closer to the unit that was there. So it doesn't mean he has to, uh, uh, he can't get within one of other units and he, it doesn't mean he can't get, uh, he can't, he can't end up closer to other units as well. It just means he has to end closer to the unit that was there. So there's all sorts of things you can do to, to really like get a lot of stuff out of this and keep our secrets move. What, like eight, 10 inches, something like that. I thought they moved so like 14 or something. Or the, yeah, I mean, that, may, that, would, that wouldn't surprise me. But if you think about it, a Keeper of Secrets all of a sudden goes from being this thing that, um, you know, okay, it's kind of gimmicky to now you could really put this thing on the table and really do some incredible stuff. And for every unit that's dying in the morale phase, you're getting, you're getting models back. So think about this. If the unit is completely wiped out, all right, that unit just flees from the battlefield on the morale phase. Every unit that fleed, he regains a wound for, and you can move six inches with it, basically. Uh, yeah, it basically, there's, not, there's nothing saying I can't move. Yeah, I basically, I, it, there's nothing saying that I can't continue to move the, the model if the unit is completely wiped off the table due to morale, right? So the thing is, um, so the 
you move the keeper of secrets before models are removed. Um, so mm, okay, yeah, that makes you sense. always get your free movement. Yeah, effectively, what so this allows you to do as long as they're going to reposition to maximize your wound uh, capture, yeah. plus move into position to either be in a more of a defensible position or a more aggressive position, depending on how you want to play it. The real big key to this is the fact that you can tag stuff in the morale phase. You're moving in the morale phase, which means so, other stuff can't swing at you if you get within one inch of it. I actually don't think you can. So it's as if it were the movement phase. In the movement phase, you can't move with me within an inch of enemy models. That is a fair point. Okay. Well, so, okay, I take back everything that I was just saying about tagging other stuff. But getting a lot of extra movement. Yeah, but bad. you get a ton of extra movement and you get tons of extra wounds back. Okay. Um, All right. That's fair. That's fair. I guess I was interpreting that wrong. Huh. Yeah. It's one of those easy things to mess up. Yeah. Well, but, I, oh, well. Yeah. But overall, it's a fantastic ability. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, without a doubt. Yeah, and it's not a relic. It's an exalted ability. So you can still take a relic. That's right. And a warlord trade on top of that. So. Yeah. All right, uh, Mike, that pretty much, I think, rounds up all the stuff that's been released. Um, but the thing that we haven't done in a while is a Q&A session here. Yes. And I put out feelers uh, to the community on our Discord server. We've been able to get tons of uh, answers on here. So first of all, thank you guys for all your uh, ideas that you, that you sent to us. Um, I don't often ping people on the server to send you notifications, but I feel like this is the kind of thing that's worth it uh, to get your input. So. Uh, without ado, uh, Mike, why don't we just jump into these things? Um, obviously, we talked about some of the new Exalted Lord of Change rules. Um, we've talked a little bit about new models, um, whether, you know, Thousand Suns might get, like, the Death Guard treatment. Yeah. Uh, so, and uh, I just don't think that's going to happen, right? Yeah, so I think it's exceedingly unlikely that we're going to get the death guard treatment effectively. The thing about death guard, they have to keep in mind is that they don't get any of the stuff that normal chaos space Marines get other than cultists, I think. And I guess they share uh, plague Marines. Whereas thousand sons borrow almost the entire chaos space Marine support range. Now what we, I think we could get is something equivalent to a dark apostle. Uh, mm -hmm. something equivalent to an apothecary mm -hmm. and perhaps some, like I mentioned, a, a piece of terrain or uh, maybe uh, a couple of additional fast attack heavy support slots. Um, but yeah. I don't think those types of things are coming. Just Thousand Suns, uh, as much as they're a very limited uh, faction, I actually think are very nicely represented by their model range. There's no, but effectively there's no extra chaff, but we sort of have everything that's critical for the army to exist as a, a faction. Yeah. I feel like if you looked at the, the list of units we have and you were to say, okay, let's look at, let's compare codex to codex to say dark Elmar. And you would <laughs> look at the optimization well, or not the optimization, but the viability of the stuff that's in that codex versus the stuff that's in the thousand suns and like as a percentage, how many of the units or the data sheets that are in there can be put on the field and you're going to be very viable with them. 
I think Dark Eldar might be a bad example there. However, Harlequins are a fantastic example. <laughs> well, right now, sure. Well, well no, because <laughs> Harlequins have they have two HQs. They have two elites, one troops choice, one fast attack choice, one heavy support choice, and one transport choice. Okay, in comparison, so... uh, Thousand Suns are in pretty good shape. The problem is that each of those choices is very viable by itself. Yes. Whereas Thousand Suns the a lot of our auxiliary choices the fast attack the heavy supports the elites those choices aren't necessarily viable and so it really feels like we sort of suffer um in a list building capacity that's why you don't see people really taking the amount of thousand suns because well i can just take my supreme command and get all the things that makes thousand suns like really cool plus all this other cool stuff Effectively, you can have your cake and eat it too. Um, and so really what I would like to see is, again, just spreading the love, giving the new units to Thousand Suns. Even like if people don't necessarily think the Plague Burst Crawler is any good, the effect that you'd have the option, have the additional psychic powers, have, the, have a, the, these other choices would go a long way towards providing some diversity. And then with the, if the new rules for vehicles do anything to help the matter, I'm really hoping that the Chaos, Space Marine, and Thousand Suns sort of auxiliary support mm-hmm. units will become viable again, uh, other yeah. than sort of the sort of meme, I'm taking three Vindicators because it's funny, or pred- three Predators for kill shot. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly... Moment, it's, you- it's not really viable. Honestly, there's a lot of things that need help, but if they were to just say focus on heavy support and the Terminators, that I think would be enough that if they could get them up to speed on their own with Thousand Uh Suns, that would probably give us a lot more options there out of the box, right? Like that gives you so much diversity of what you could build. Um, Even throw the Mutiflet Vortex Beast in there, I mean, being a heavy support. He needs a little bit of a, a tweak. I don't think he needs a revamp, just a tweak to what he is maybe t8 maybe you know four up in bone rather than five up in bone something yeah. to set him apart from the Mahler fiend a little bit more but um on the models thing um i actually reached out to folks that i've gotten rumors on before uh, i've i've asked if they they've heard about anything coming there have been uh times in the past where folks have said you know what, there's this, there's noise around potentially Thousand Suns getting new units, getting new psychers uh, that are like non-rubric psychers. That actually has been a rumor that's been out there, um, but there has been no real traction to that. Um, and on the folks that I've actually pinged about it, they've basically confirmed that, yeah, I haven't heard a lot about it. So there's no, it's not like something that's gaining traction or the kind of thing where if it was true, we'd be hearing more about it. So it could just be one of those fake things. Um, they're... There is noise about, you know, the, the, the noise, there was noise essentially about Necrons and Space Marines, which basically confer, was confirmed with the new addition that Necrons are getting a whole bunch of stuff. They're basically yeah. getting the Death Guard treatment. So mm-hmm. I, you know, just playing, if I were to answer the whole, would Thousand Suns get the Death Guard treatment? I could tell you right now, probably no, just based on the fact that Necrons are getting that treatment. And they don't give that treatment to more than pretty much one army in an addition. Um, like Death Guard and Eighth Edition is who got that a treatment. So yeah. Um, aside from that, there is a rumor about 
crud um, that came up, which was interesting. And apparently that one's actually uh, getting a little bit of strength in a way. But aside from that, nothing else that's really too crazy, uh, you know, that, that is coming. I, it sounds like they might potentially introduce a new army in 8th edition, but we'll see. I mean, they've got enough stuff to fix with the existing armies that a new army is kind of meh. Yeah. We'll see. Um, anyways, let's try and move things along here, Mike, because we got a bunch of yep. questions to get to. So, so uh, next we have um, two requests uh, to sort of discuss souping changes. We talked about this a bit before. Right. But um, effectively, what I'm thinking we're going to be seeing is uh, again, the more refined your army is, the more bonuses you get for playing mono faction. So, we'll go again, just. Uh, going like if you're playing pure chaos, you get blah. If you're playing Thousand Suns, you get blah. If you're playing specific right. cult, you get blah. And we already see that somewhat with the cults on a detachment level, but I'm thinking what we're going to be seeing is a army-wide level. If you have pure cult, you'll be getting additional bonuses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and again, I, I want to see something where it's much more um, it's much more synergistic where like thousand suns have the ability to maybe buff demons as an example. So let's say Mm -hmm. you take cult of magic, um, you know, maybe having two detachments of cult of magic means that Zinch demons in your army get blah uh, versus like Zinch might be something where let's say you take two uh, Zinch detachments. It might say Zinch units in your army get blah, something like that. And, and to make it so that, having a, a Zinch demon detachment gives you something innate to your, to your army. Um, so that, or to Zinch units in your army. Uh, so there's this sense of like unification between the two armies where they can still exist as two different armies. They, they can still have their own codex. They can still kind of stand on their own, but yeah. playing them together, you get a bonus and you know, maybe that's how you want to play the army. Maybe there's something there, but I don't want that to be the only way to do it. I want it to be, I can play mono Zinch and it's good. And there's bonuses I get for doing that. And then playing mono thousand suns, same thing. And every army, I would like to see something like that. So that's, mm-hmm. that's my take on it and, and where I hope it goes, but we'll see. I mean, there's, there's a lot for them to uncover, but all right. Uh, Papa Gibbs, uh, he's obviously asking stuff we've talked about, like rubric marine weapon upgrades, giving Age of Sigmar units a crossover, uh, realistic additions for the existing Chaos Space Marines. So rubric marine upgrades, dude, I'm with you. I think there needs to be something like at least a missile launcher or a LAS cannon or something like that added in to be able to, and the Soul Reaper cannon, hell. If you don't want to add other stuff, then just make it so that they can take a Soul Reaper cannon in a unit of five Marines. I mean, I don't know how many times we need to say this, Games Workshop, that that is the thing that regular Chaos Space Marines can do, regular Marines can do, all the other Marine unit, uh, you know, Marine squads in the game can do, but Thousand Suns just seem to say, no, we want our bolters. So, yeah. And I think the other thing is that with the addition of bolter discipline in whatever chaos calls it uh, upgrading the reaper chain cannon to be strength six, like an assault cannon and having six shots like an assault cannon Mm -hmm. would 
make it actually worth considering. Because at the moment, okay, it's strength five, and it gets four shots in the Sevi. Mm-hmm. Well, I, who cares? Well, you know, the nice thing that they have right now is things like the Mauler Fiend, Forge Fiend, Defiler. They have a base model cost based on what the model actually has, what, it, what yeah. it's a platform for. So it's con- entirely conceivable that Thousand Suns would have its own loadout for one of those models. Uh, and its own its own weapons that go on there. So maybe it's modeled as a Reaper Auto Cannon, but the Thousand Suns actually pay for it a different price because maybe that Reaper Auto Cannon is, you know, minus three AP and two damage versus maybe minus two AP and two damage with other stuff. Like it's just yeah, it's just supercharged a little bit with zinchiness. So um, I do like the question about the Age of Sigmar crossover stuff. But I don't know how they would do it because the only things that are really sitting out there, you know, are some edgy kind of units in Age of Sigmar. Um, the Acolytes are probably a good example of the kind of thing that you could potentially cross over and maybe replace cultists with them. I don't see them doing that because cultists are kind of like a staple for Chaos Armies and that is what they are in 40k. Yeah, well, I mean, um, the Acolytes are effectively the cultists for Age of Sigmar. Yeah, the, the the big problem they have though are the base sizes, right? You're going from 32 yeah, they're, to, they're to 25, so you'd you'd yeah. have to do them as different units. Could you replace the cultists with the same cost? Sure, I would like them to, you know, if they did that, I'd like them to keep them within the same cost range, but maybe give them weapon upgrades. So yeah, I mean, the one know. model I can really see them bringing across, actually, I guess two models if you look kids, I should say, uh, the Orgrid Thaumaturge. I oh, think yeah. would oh, yeah. come across um, as sort of a elite, a, a specific like demon prince equivalent for yeah. Thousand Sons. Yeah. Um, the other thing is endless spells. Um, I think could mm. um, see play in 40k. I, I mean, I don't think they will um, because of but. It's possible that they'll introduce them. Yeah. Yeah, but I think they would do that as its own kind of campaign, right? That yeah. wouldn't be the kind of thing that we see in a codex or in Correct. ninth edition as like a, a ninth edition release kind of thing. Yeah, just so, models yeah. that for Age of Sigmar I think yep. could make the jump that haven't already. Yep. And and realistically, you kind of touched a little bit on the stuff that you could bring over from Cast Space Marines, right? Like the Disco Lord. Um, yeah, you know, Disco Lord. Things uh, like that. Although... Crawler. Although in Thousand Suns, it gets a little bit shady, right? Because the, the unless you're a psyker, you're pretty much dust. So you know, I can see, I can see why Games Workshop did not give Thousand Suns the Disco Lord or the Lord Discord uh, for those who, don't, who aren't familiar with that. Um, I, however, I could see them porting it over in a way that fits within the army. That's the kind yeah. of thing that could it could work. I mean, the, I, I just don't see it as likely there. I think a dark apostle or an apothecary is more likely, or even um, actually, what is it? The uh, uh, the demonics, uh, the demonic sorcerer that they just added. Yeah, the um, what is that thing called? What is his name? Something, someone. The dude with the skulls, right? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna go look it up. <laughs> we are we are great we chaos are. players. 
<laughs> we know our army. I, yeah. <laughs> I hope y'all are appreciating this. Uh, uh, where is it? I got it. Uh, it is the master of possessions. Yeah, that guy. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I honestly, think he sh- I definitely was, should be in Thousand Suns. Yeah, 100%. I was very surprised that he wasn't an option. Um, for Thousand Sons. It didn't make any sense to me. Maybe they've got a special one for Thousand Sons in the works. Who knows? But Maybe. I, I think it's doubtful. So, um, but so the actually, so here's the thing about the Lord Discordant. I think that it'd be very easy to incorporate him into Thousand Sons. Uh, so if you look at the way Grey Knights are treated, they get a effectively a psychic version of every HQ choice that regular Marines get. So you add the Lord of Discordant, you crank him up to like 20 points more expensive. He can cast smite. That's all he gets. And there you go. You have a Lord Discordant mm-hmm. for your army. He isn't as versatile as a dedicated psyker, but mm-hmm. he adds something solid to your army. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And especially with the um, changes, if, if they do do the um, sort of mono-faction changes that we're talking about, even bringing Supreme Commands of him isn't really as useful as it you might think because what's bringing a Thousand Sons Lord Discord and give you? Oh, he can smite a longer range. I... Yeah. Yeah, well, he doesn't. His smite doesn't increase either. Like he can just smite yeah. like everybody else. But yeah, I think there are some options there. There's some units that can be carried over, but you just have to fit them within the DMO of what the Thousand Suns have. And I just, yeah. you know, it are there are there some things that they could do? Sure, and they could bring the Master Possessions over. I think he's the most readily he's the most ready unit to just take as is and bring over um, because he's he's already a psyker. He's already modeled a way that he would fit right in with the Thousand Suns. I mean, he's chaosy. He could fit Zinch. It works. Um, but all right. So we had some great comments that were in there. Um, Mike, I'm going to let you take this next one. Um, Netter Mizuno is asking how Magnus should cha- should be changed to make him viable through all of Ninth Edition. All right. So this is a bit of a complicated question. So if you look at what Magnus does as he currently is, Magnus is very good in two capacities. One, he does mortal wound spam like no one else. He, all of his mortal wounds spells do lots of damage all the time. It's easy to cast them. He's pretty tough and Against a single large target, he's nothing to laugh at, even uh, compared to like Mortarian, who's more dedicated towards close combat. The thing Magnus is really missing is versatility in his target selection. And so, for instance, if Magnus gets tarpated by something he can't fall back from, which if there are a few things that like that that exist. Uh, he's pretty much stuck there because he only gets so many attacks and the ability to change his mercurial weapon that can take whatever form he wants from a spear or a little stabby sword into, I don't know, a flail 
would give him the ability to compete with the other super heavies. And the other thing he's really missing is it's very easy to lose Magnus early due to going second. And if you don't have a way to sort of keep him out of harm's way, if you don't have his buffs on him, Magnus melts. And uh, so something to reduce the amount of damage he can take over a single phase, sort of like Gazgol um, or the ability for his Sekhmet Terminators to take hits for him. Uh, is necessary for Magnus to really function in a like all comers setup. Um, yeah. Because even with like the the slingshot method that David likes to use, uh, you'll wind up in games where well, my opponent brought nine basilisks, and he's going first. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> yep. Yep. Pretty much. Uh, I I think I think Mike, you hit pretty much ninety percent of what I think would make Magnus viable. And again, we have to look at this from the standpoint of ninth edition and what's going to be happening there. I, I think everybody's going to be getting their power levels turned up. So if Magnus is already in a position where he's, I don't want to say behind, I would say weak, but he's behind the curve. Um, he is an interesting oddball right now in, in eighth edition where he, he has a lot of offensive output and can catch armies off guard where if they don't stop him, he just runs away with the game. I would like to see it where Primarchs don't necessarily, I guess, I guess the thing that's missing from them is they exist as leaders of their army. They were former Primarchs essentially, or, or they're, I don't say fallen, but they're, they're, they're better Primarchs than what an actual Primarch is. So like Gilliman is a good example of what a Primarch is today in 40 K. Like, that exists on the loyalist side on the chaos side. Yes. You, ex- you expect them to be demons. You expect them to be psychers. You expect them to have like all this, you know, infused energy, increased strength, increased attacks, increased movement. Uh, but the problem is, is Magnus didn't lose his ability to lead. So why does he only reroll once like that? You're saying he's no better at leading the army than Ermon is. And Aramon is essentially the equivalent of the chapter master of the Thousand Sons. So why doesn't he re-roll all, all in his aura bubble that he has? So I think both him and Magnus need to have that improved. I think Magnus's re-roll ones in the psychic phase can, re- can remain the same. Um, but chaining that with what Mike was saying, where he needs a way to deep strike. Maybe he can't deep strike and maybe he can outflank. I'd be okay with that. He just needs a way to sit off the table untargetable turn one because there's no situation where Magnus the Red would just be completely undone by like something as trivial as an orbital bombardment or a yeah. last kind of array that just simply is just like, ha ha ha, we fired first and you're dead. You know, yeah. like that just would never happen. So why on the table would that be a kind of thing? So I think having him be able to deep strike needs to be a thing. Um, again, I think that's also a thing for Mortarian. Uh, I think at this point, allowing the Zinch stratagems to work on Magnus would be a very feasible thing to do. Um, and maybe you can design the stratagems to do that, but we'll see, we'll see what gets, 
what gets done. But I have a feeling that him and Mortarian are going to see some changes in my end. I think they're going to they're going to take some of that stuff into account. So, and I have one more thing. I was thinking about it just now. So introduce a stratagem that lets the Thousand Sons, including Magnus, share a psychic power. So let's say mm. that you have your three power, your, your powers on Magnus, and Aramon has warp time and all of his powers. And you need the power on Magnus. You spend your CP, and he can borrow a power from another psyker to use that power. Because so Magnus is a master of, of magic. He literally created the psychic disciplines that every other loyalist chapter use uses as the the core basis yeah. of their psychic powers. He created the cults, and so as the master magician that he is, he should be able to, if not just take any power he wants channel those yeah. powers in a way that is beneficial to him make him effectively let him and the army in general have yeah. that level of additional psychic flexibility he should be able to also jump himself i i think i mean like literally if you think about it there's no power he shouldn't be able to use there's no power he shouldn't be able to target with himself essentially to yeah. to to put onto the battlefield so i think there's nothing we've talked about there that would just make him broken yeah. doing that stuff. I think he becomes really strong. That's what I expect for a 400 point, 450 point model on the table. Something yeah. that's really strong. I don't expect you not to be able to deal with it. I think you can still, you can still, you know, tar pit him. Uh, even if he has a sweep attack, which he deserves. Uh, I, st I still think you can hit him with volcano cannons and you know, <laughs> that's going to be bad news if that connects. Okay, yeah. there's answers to that kind of stuff. Uh, Grey Knights, he's a demon. You're going to be doing incredible smites for the stuff that gets through. And guess what? He only has, what, three denies. So, okay, three of those smites are not denied. You're going to just going to be absolutely annihilating him with the rest of the stuff that's there. So there's stuff that counters what Magnus does. Even Eldar, for that matter, had Doom and Jinx. You can pretty much take Magnus out so quickly. Yeah. I don't think it needs to be the kind of thing that armies like Eldar and space Marines should be able to shoot him off the table in one turn. Yeah. There just shouldn't be things that can shoot him off the table in one turn. It should be that he should be the kind of model that takes a couple of turns at least to get him off the table from a survivability standpoint. Mm -hmm. Mortarian, on the other hand, I think he probably should be looking at three to four turns to get him off the table. But that also means you need to rein his output back a little bit because that's what he does. So yeah. You know, it just, it kind of surprises me because that when they redesigned the Primarchs there it, with their codexes, you know, Magnus was a little bit more tanky before and Mortarian, it was kind of like they made Magnus less tanky and more output, but then Mortarian, they made him more tanky and more output. So how is that fair? Mm -hmm. You know, it, we could go on for hours on this. Anyways, Mike, so moving next, on. Next, uh, Doge has a question regarding the negative oh, yeah. possibilities that, about the addition change that may or may not have been discussed. So, so. here's here's my <laughs> worry. Here's my first worry. I'll let you think about this here. Uh, Games Workshop, and this actually has nothing to do with the rules and the mechanics of Ninth Edition. My worry is in the 
Games Workshop getting more involved in tournaments uh, or in events. And I get that where they're getting more involved in it, they're getting more involved on the narrative side mostly with from a rules perspective. But the thing that worries me is when you look at the events and you look at the fact that most of the Games Workshop events that have been run are not attended by the highly competitive players. I mean, the, the folks that are going to the ITC tournaments, these are the folks that are, I mean, for lack of a better term, these are the hardcore tournament players um, that are really serious about the game, really like knee deep and just maxing the, their arms. I don't see those events being attended by those folks. And what worries me is if they, now that they're trying to get more involved in the events, if that lack of having exposure to those types of players being in, being at their events frequently uh, is going to be the kind of thing where the missions that they come out with are going to be suitable. Uh, so I, I, I worry a little bit on that front, but it's much more of a, I trust them and I'm, I'm willing to see what happens there, but I'm a little bit worried that that might be something that they're, you know, I, I know that they've been watching ITC. I know they talk to those guys all the time, but I, I'm a little worried that that might not be as smooth as they might kind of come out and say, hey, this is going to be great. These are how the tournaments are going to go. This is, you know, we definitely come down on like making these missions competitive and balanced and that kind of thing. I, I'm not sure that they are going to be quite there, but we'll see. I haven't even seen the missions, so it's not fair for me to say that that's not something they can do because I think they can, but we'll see. How about you, Mike? So for me, it really, I, I've talked about this a little in the Discord, but the danger of going through an addition change is always the unintended consequences of the rules. So in this case, what they seem to be doing is they're trying to incentivize the um, the fact that the purer your army is, the effectively you should play mono faction, um, which I think everyone, well, I most people I think agree is a, going to be a good thing. But uh, the other thing is that they're they're re re reducing the restrictions on list building, is what I've been hearing, and so there are two things that come from that one. Encouraging monofactions mean that the people who don't have the updated codexes will have a harder time. Uh, one of the things that Chaos, in particular, and Eldar have done is in order to continue to compete with Space Marines, they sort of soup in the ideal units for whatever roles. So, for instance, the um, for Eldar in particular, you'll see a Dark Eldar detachment with three Raiders and an Archon because that's the most efficient heavy support choices. They'll bring in a detachment with three sets of Harlequin jet bikes because those are the most ideal fast attack. And then they'll bring a battalion of Craft World because of the various troop choices, those are generally the best. Um, so with mono faction, now you are removing some of the ability to cherry pick various units and 
until everyone gets their codex, that's going to lead to some disparity in codex performance. And then the other thing is people are going to number crunch. And for the first year, I'm going to say the meta is going to look really weird uh, as people just throw junk at the wall until just to see what sticks. Uh, And then over the course of that time, a couple of key builds are going to start coming out and those are likely going to look very uh, spammy. So bringing, why do I need to bring troops anymore? If I don't get a benefit from bringing a battalion or as big of a benefit in comparison, uh, I'll just take nothing but Lehman Rust tanks. They can shoot in combat now and they get all these new bonuses and I'm running pure Cadian. So I just get to bend chaos over and shove a battle cannon up its butt. That's the, uh, the concern is if we'll start seeing the spam builds that really saw play in seventh return. Um, and so the, the if Games think- Workshop does its job well, uh, that won't happen. And we'll have a fun balanced edition that everyone can have a fun time with and everything will be great. But that is a concern. So I know from a time perspective here, we're, we're kind of uh, running a little bit long here, but, Mike, I, I did want to kind of jump in here real quick with you. You know, do you think that, you know, we talked about how the doctrines and things like the doctrine principle, like armies getting their equivalent of like what doctrines or army wide rules will be. Um, and if that is where things are going, if we're looking at that, do you think things like the relic Acadia, you know, stratagems that we see out there like that, uh, or vengeance for Acadia are things that, will get toned down, but be, but armies will get much more, I don't want to say subdued, but things like saying all of your guns get an additional AP. Like that kind of thing on the onset sounds subdued, but as we've seen with Doctrines with Space Marines, it's actually really, really good. So I don't think the Relic of Lost Cadia in its current form is going to go away anytime soon. Uh, as much as it's absolutely punishing it is only once per game you have to be running cadia and it's it actually forces you to play a certain way now granted that method is very good for alpha strikes but um let's say that you don't go first well now you have the relic but you might not even get a chance to use it depending on who you're playing against so I, I think the relic is still going to stick around in its current form, but I, I don't think it's going to be as devastatingly as effective all the time as it was in the innate. Will Cadians even be in the next Imperial Guard Godex? I think they are. So the thing to keep in mind about Cadia is that one, the Cadia may well, have been broke Acadia's, before Acadia's the Cadians did. Yeah, but Cadian's gone. <laughs> the the Acadian regiments are still around. Much like the um Tanith first and only. Yeah. Tanith was destroyed by freak chaos warp storm. But uh they're still around. Yeah. Uh and so I think we'll see continue to see Cadians as the sort of the poster boy 
Uh, I might be very proud of the fact that you kept firing when the planet blew up, but Abaddon done like <laughs> he, done, he done fucked you guys up. So, yep. so Katie is Katie gone. So I I, right. I I take my little jab there and and run with it. But yep. um, anyways, so from a time perspective, I don't know that we're going to be able to get to all the questions, Mike, because uh, there were I a lot of them that were sent in. Next one is pretty good though, and I, I would like to address it. Okay, this will be so, our last one. Yeah. So the last one. Uh, sent in by Ninth Blade, um, effectively asking us to speculate on auras being toned down and the stacking of modifiers going away, or at least being reduced. And it's a good one because we didn't talk about the fact that they said that minus one and plus one to hit modifiers are going to be capped. And mm-hmm. in fact, what they said were modifiers are going to be capped at plus one, minus one. And that was about it right? Like yeah. we haven't heard more details than that. So we don't w- know whether that's just in shooting, if that applies to melee, uh, whether that improves to things like improving invulnerable saves, or can you still stack an invulnerable save with yeah. a modifier? You know, those kind of things are just things we don't, we don't have answers to yet because they haven't given mm-hmm. us enough details. So if I were to speculate, which we're going to, because that's what we're doing, um, I would say that we are likely going to see like bonuses stacking, but no longer stacking. So like, for instance, no more minus three to hit Eldar Flyers, no more stacking pluses to hit. So now I trigger my six plus ability on a four plus. Uh, and, but we'll still see individual bonuses stacking. So for instance, you can stack an aura of a reroll hits, reroll wounds, additional AP. Um, Because those are each discrete bonuses, but they aren't stacked and so aren't as, well, awful as some of those matchups where you literally couldn't hit a particular Eldar Flyer. Yeah, that was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, so I mean, we I, I know think... that we know that they're going to make it so the flyers are are completely revamped now, and it sounds yes. like in a way they're going back to what seventh edition and previous mm-hmm. editions allowed them to do was fly off the board and then come back on. Which yeah, is which, cool. Yeah, I think they should be able to do strafing runs. My own concern is that well, if my flyer is off the board the entire game, why do I even own this flyer model? But well, I'm sure they'll it'll work out and it'll all be yeah. fantastic. Yeah. But um. I, I do think that uh, again, the, as they've indicated, we'll no longer be able to stack bonuses just ad nauseum um, in order I, to f- a sort of hard push the game into breaking. I think what's going to change is instead of stacking bonuses vertically, like as many mm-hmm. minus one plus one hits, things like that, I think things are going to be more stacked broadly. Uh, yeah. So you're going to be you're going to be looking for as many bonuses as you can stack together. Yeah. Um, it, you know, Slanesh can do a really good job of that right now. They've got all sorts of stuff they can stack together, mm-hmm. um, and I think with Zinch Demons, it's going to be very similar. Uh, once once we kind of get to see all the different things, uh, so you're going to yeah. have things like reroll auras and plus one to hit or uh, plus one to hit modifiers, things like that. And you're going to want to have as much stuff that can synergize that way as possible. And yeah, I think which, even as just a general formula. Mm-hmm. will should port over relatively good, well from eighth to ninth as a as a like a principle for building your army yeah also mathematically it works out better to have more multiplicative multipl- multipliers yep. than additive but um i think uh, well there 
there is one other question, Mike, that just kind of snuck in here at the end that I just caught. Um, oh yeah. So, so someone was asking if Magnus did anything wrong. Well, I mean, that that's a dumb question. Of course, Magnus did nothing. Hey, there are no dumb questions, but oh, my, my mistake. This is we don't I ask forgot. that around here. Okay, this we just don't ask that question. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, uh, guys, we're going to do our best to get to uh, more of the stuff that's coming out. There's tons of content. We just wanted to get a general look at this uh, now. Uh, just some general reaction uh, looking at Thousand Suns. And, uh, you know, as more of this stuff comes out, Mike and I will jump back on here and we will give you what we think. Thank you.